Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, we want to turn to John chapter 6. We were there last week. We're going to have a look at that particular text again. And we also want to put your finger in Romans chapter 8. And uh, we want to use Romans chapter 8 as our, uh, our glue that holds together all that we want to talk about. So let's have a look in John chapter 6. I'm going to read it from the screen. But if you've got a different version in a Bible or in an electronic device, you read along with your one. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 16, says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake and got into a boat and started across the lake of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a wind, a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed after about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the land towards which which they were going. Now let's have a look at Romans chapter 8. Short verse, but this will tie us all together tonight in our our, uh, message. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, otherwise you would live in fear again. Instead, the Holy Spirit you received made you God's appointed child. By the Spirit's power, we call God Abba. Abba means Father. Now, Lucas asked you a question earlier. What was that question? How many of you have been afraid? Is there any more? Lucas had two hands up. Poor old Chiron this week. You don't mind me telling a story about you, do you, Corin? That's okay. We had This week we had Food Bank, which is on a Wednesday. Great ministry. If you can get a day off work or half a day off or a couple of hours off work, come down and help out. We, we basically pack this whole community centre out with what we do. But Kyron was coming to Food Bank on Wednesday to start his ministry and he nearly had an accident. What, how many know what that's like when you nearly have an accident? And... He came in, he was trembling and shaking, had to get him a cup of coffee, had to have a couple of gaspers before you calmed down, wasn't it? <laughs> but it was some fear happening. And, and I understand that. I've been in that situation where we just that near-miss accident. It's not fun. Let me tell you a time in my life. Some of you have heard this story before, but it's really worth repeating again. Giselle, Giselle's in the room, that's why it's worth repeating. Last time I didn't tell the story because Giselle wasn't here. I did tell the story because Giselle was here, wasn't here. Okay, there's a time in my life that I was on first name, a first name basis with fear. It was in October 2005. It was our first mission trip to Africa. Giselle and I and Tim's first mission trip to Africa. And at that time, it seems like not so long ago, but it was a long time ago. Uh, at that time, it was cheaper to buy an around the world airline ticket than it was to buy a, re- a regular return ticket to Nairobi, Kenya. So we took advantage of the, the deal and we flew from Africa at that time to the US on our way back home to Australia. Now while in the US we had a one week stopover, what do you do? Of course you check out Disneyland and, but it was at Universal Studios where the cold hand of fear gripped my heart. Um, we had internet tickets so that 
It meant that we didn't have to queue up like all the other regular bods. And we were first at the gate. We got up early that morning. We were suffering jet lag, so we were there bright and early. And I was like a big kid in the lolly shop with Giselle telling me to slow down. And so the first attraction as we got through the gate was this old castle with this corny old graveyard out the front of it with a big sign over it that said Van Helsing. Who remembers Van Helsing? Huh? Here's a picture of the original Van. That's Van Helsing, there's Dracula. So Van Helsing was a, uh, a, a, a vampire hunter, yeah? And so, but this was the Hugh Jackman movie version of Helsing. And I said, let's do it! And ran straight into the corny looking castle. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, as I said, Van Helsing is uh, Count Dracula's mortal enemy. Yeah, and this is the black and white still from the movie, but the Hugh Jackman remake was a bit more MA fifteen plus. There's two things that Giselle will not do at an amusement park. One is a roller coaster. The second is a haunted house. To add pain to my misery. I was scared witless at the age of seven at the Lilydale Agricultural Show at a haunted house when a rubber-gloved hand came out of a hole in the wall and grabbed me on the top of the head right, and scared the wits out of me. So I have this massive phobia uh, to fairground sort of haunted house. I didn't realise what I was running into because I just knew I had internet tickets. I was first in the queue, straight in. And so we're first in the gates, first in the housing, whatever it was. I wasn't so sure. Not understanding what I've run into, all I knew was that I'm first and I'm winning. Yeah? And so, and there's literally two dozen Hispanic families hot on my trail as, as we and I try to be first into the Universal Studios gates. Well, after going through the turnstile and the, the, taking the 20 paces, it, it, I realised it's a haunted house. And we can't turn back because of this herd of Mexicans that's behind me. All right? And uh, Tim's screaming and pushing me forward and he's trying to climb over the back of the over my back and then he's trying to climb over the Mexicans as well because there was real actors dressed up in the haunted house and the corridors are really narrow. This thing was a hellhole and Tim was frozen with fear. Giselle was screaming for me to get her out of there and there's a lot of Spanish wailing and gnashing of teeth as well. After 20 minutes, we finally saw the, some daylight and I had to physically hold Giselle up and walk her out onto a park bench into the sunshine and she was mumbling something about take me to the airport. At that point, what I was most afraid of was Giselle would divorce me. <laughs> this was grounds for divorce. I sat her down in the sunshine. She was completely silent. Tim had run off to watch some Blues Brothers tribute band and I sat there not knowing whether to laugh or cry as Giselle didn't move a muscle. That was my, that was the worst fear of my life. So, that's why I'm on first name, a first name basis with fear. But let's look at thought number one. Thought number one is learning to move beyond fear. In our text from John's Gospel, it plays an incredible part in the story. Fear plays an incredible part in the story. The disciples get into the boat and they they row about four or five kilometres and the text says they were making a hard time of it. It's dark, 
The wind is against them. How many have ever been down to Studley Park and got into those lovely rowboats? One or two people, yeah? I remember taking Giselle out. We went lovely and we sort of floated up the Yarra. But it was one of those summer days when there's this hot north wind. So coming, trying to come back up the Yarra River on was it was just a a hard uh, rowing time against the wind. So any kind of wind when you're in a rowboat is a total annoyance. But this is not this is not Studley Park. (laughs) Verse 19 and 20 says, when they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now think about this with me for a moment. Um, it's the fear from the storm. Is it the fear from the storm, or is it the fear from the mysterious figure on walking on the waves that they're afraid of? Because the truth is, most of them, most of these men are seagoing professional fishermen. They weren't a bunch of tourists in a rented boat. I, I have been. Uh, I believe that these men weren't easily afraid when out on the water. Now, if you take someone out on the bay uh, that's easily afraid, they'll actually buy the boat off you if you let them, just to, so you take them back in again. People who fish all their lives and spend time on boats, they aren't easily afraid. And we looked at this story in John's Gospel and Mark's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel at well uh, last week, and we get the idea that they weren't really afraid of the storm. Yes, they were toiling. Yes, they were working. They, they were making it hard. They were making slow progress. And we confuse this story with another story when they're in a boat and fearing for their lives. And in that story, Jesus was in the boat with them as well and he was having a nap at the top of the boat. That's a different story. That's a different situation. This story, they're not afraid of the storm, but they are annoyed with the storm. It's making them work harder than they've ever planned. And there have been a lot of times in my life, and probably in your life too, when you and I would say, Jesus, I'm working harder at this than I ever thought I should have. Where are you? And what really made them afraid was when Jesus showed up walking on the waves. Matthew 14 tells it that way. Mark 6 tells it that way. Let's have a look at Mark 6, which covers the Matthew account as well. It says, so sometime between three And six o'clock in the morning, he came to them, walking on the water. He was going to pass them by. Now here they are straining, they're toiling, and Jesus is walking on the water and he was going to pass them by. Now I can just imagine Jesus saying to himself as he's striding across the waves, um, they're okay, they're working, they're sweating, they're, they're whinging, they're complaining, they'll be all right. Mark's text says, but they saw him and cried out. Some translations say they turned aside and cried out. They turned from their problem, they turned from their situation and they saw Jesus. What about us tonight? In the midst of our fears, in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of our problems, will you and I turn aside from them? And look to Jesus. The question is, do you have enough of God with inside of you to be able to look to Jesus when things aren't going your way? When situations seem to be against you? When doubt comes? When fear comes? When unbelief floods in? 
in the, and, and it washes over you? Or will you just give your opinion, give your complaint, give your bellyache, or will you turn aside and look to Jesus? Here's the next thought tonight. Learning to move with Jesus. This is very important. Have you ever gone through really hard times? I think we can both, or we can all just put both hands up there. We've all gone through hard times. We're slogging through it, or we're fighting to keep our faith intact and keep a right attitude, but you're also mad about what's going on as well, and that's understandable. Actually, it's like the disciples in the boat who are tired, it's, it's, it's dark, the winds are blowing, and you're trying to row and the other bloke smacks you in the face with his elbow as you're trying to row. You're not in good timing. Everything's off. Nerves are frayed. And then the sledging starts. Then you realise that Jesus is in the middle of the whole mess. The thought that I want us to take away tonight is that Jesus is in my uncomfortable situations. Jesus is in my uncomfortable situations. The thing that I'm complaining about, the thing that I'm whinging about, the thing that I'm upset about, Jesus is in it. In fact, he set it up. That's what we looked at last week in obedience, wasn't it? Jesus puts you in situations to remind you who you really are. Who remembers from last week what the previous scene was before this boat incident? What, what happened before the boat incident? Where did they come from? Feeding of the 5,000. That's the story prior to this one. So here we are. We're in a situation. And it's hard. But that can, you know, and here we are. They've come from a, a miracle that just took place of feeding of the 5,000 beside 5,000 men besides women and children on five loaves and two fish. How is he reminded? How now? Now Jesus is reminding you and I is reminding them that you can see a miracle one day, and you can bellyache and complain the next. The children of Israel saw the Red Sea open. And an estimated three million passed through on dry ground. Three days later, they were bellyaching to Moses that they hated their situation and that there was no food. If we are brutally honest tonight with ourselves and with each other, we can be like that as well. So let's go back to our, our story. These are seafaring men. It's a, a simple voyage of several kilometers. The wind comes up. It makes the rowing tough, they're putting their backs into this thing. Uh, it's miserable work. They're tired, they're sledging, they're hazing. Um, there, are, there, 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 there are a few words from, you know, that, 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 that there, there are words that are coming out that shouldn't come out. And then in the middle of all that, Jesus shows up. And here's the principle tonight. Whenever God is moving you into something new, He will move you beyond your ability to control the circumstances, the environment or the dynamics. Jesus will send you and I into a boat knowing that it will be dark, that it will be hard, that there will be complaining 
and that we will get tired. And then he will come and remind you that you are not going anywhere without him. The storm tonight is the key element. In the book of Nahum, Nahum, does anyone know where the book of Nahum is? (laughs) It's in the Bible. (laughs) There's a great verse in the book of Nahum. And, uh, which is in the Old Testament. And it says, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So that upsetting and that disturbing event in your life, God tonight is in the whirlwind. And we are thinking, where's God in my life? Well, he's right in the middle of the whole thing tonight. God uses the storms of life to direct us. Proverbs 20:30 says something, or sorry, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. One lady said these words, people don't change because they see the light, they change because they feel the heat. Problems point us in new directions. They motivate and bring our desire to change. The other thought is that God uses these same storms to inspect us. He looks us over. He inspects our seaworthiness. He takes our measure and uh, assays us. Those things that uh, fall out of our mouths and our character when trouble and pressure arises, he he, he inspects us. One man said these words, he says, scratch a Christian, find a heathen. It's true, isn't it? Especially when we're driving cars, I think. Oh, everyone's quiet. <laughs> God never disturbs us to condemn us tonight. God never disturbs us to condemn us. He disturbs us to inspect us. God will always make you aware of unfinished business in your character and unfinished business in your life. Now, my personal testimony is that I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 25. I was a bit of a a disaster. I was in a pit of despair. I had drunk, sniffed, smoked everything I could. But looking back from 56 years on on this planet Earth, the booze, the drugs, they were easy to give up. I didn't have to fight that. I wanted to give that up. I wanted to get out of that pit. I didn't want to be in that pit. It wasn't those things that were hard to deal with. What was hard to deal with was character issues. I found that the hardest to do of all. Character issues. Keeping my patience. Keeping the peace. Respecting other people. My pride was a massive problem. And loving the unlovely. Because it's easy to love the lovely, isn't it? But it's hard to love the unlovely. In moving beyond life's fears and learning to move with Jesus, we looked at, we've looked at three quick thoughts. That Jesus directs us, that Jesus inspects us. The next thought is Jesus corrects us. Sometimes the correction and discipline that God brings is the best thing that can happen to us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says, The Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. There have been lessons in my life that have only come to pass through 
through pain and through failure. Now, I wish I could tell you otherwise tonight. As a parent, I've learnt that to be not to be careful and totally shelter my children from all their mistakes. In other words, I don't want to get in God's way in their lives. That doesn't mean I don't care. In fact, it means that I, I do care for them and I do love them. But they have to make those mistakes so they can learn. It's the same in a church. You don't get in God's way when he's inspecting someone, whether it's a brother or sister. When we, when he is directing them, when he's correcting them, we don't get in the way of God. The other thing that God does in the midst of the storm is he protects us. Nowhere in the Bible is there most perfectly spelt out uh, lesson and that's in the story of Joseph. His brothers rip him off. They, they throw him in a, a pit. They throw him in a cistern, in a well. Then they sell him into slavery when they realise that's not a good idea. Now, no, I have never had anybody um, throw me in a pit uh, and then sell me to, 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 to slaves. Nothing like that's happened to me. But there have been injustices that can... Um, that, that do and do come against us in life. But here we see an injustice that comes against this man and this injustice becomes an enormous blessing to his people. His rejection became his new direction. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, you did it to hurt me. You did it because you wanted to hurt me. But God let you hurt me so that later... I could help you. It's only as I believe that I can make sense of all the stuff that's happening. All the things that have happened to you, all the things that have happened to me, only God can make sense of that. Unfair stuff, unrighteous stuff, unwanted stuff. What I've learned about God tonight is that he can take all that broken stuff, all the rubble and all the junk, of our lives and he can build a perfect future. God uses the storms of life to direct us, to inspect us, to correct us or perfect us and to protect us. That is what the whole story is about. Jesus sent them into the storm because it's all about character over comfort tonight. Back on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the day before, they were religious superstars, weren't they? We talked about this last week. Everybody knew their name. Everybody wanted to know them. And Jesus put them out in a situation that tested them and the whole thing fell apart. When God sends you out to do something new, he will make it an environment that you can't control, where labouring in your own strength will get you nowhere fast, then Jesus shows up and he teaches us again that we can't do anything without him. Thirdly and finally, learn to move over to Jesus. Learn to move over to Jesus. There's a, such a simple thing, this is such a simple thing to say, but what I want us to do is, is and what I want us to take away is John ends his gospel record of this event with these words. He says in verse 21, Then they were willing to take him into the boat. First they were afraid, we know that. 
And it says, then they were willing to take him in the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Immediately, what does that mean? Immediately. Think about that. There are 12 men in a boat and it's a rowboat. That would be a quite a big boat, yeah? 12 hairy blokes sitting abreast and there needs to be room for the fishing nets and there needs to be room for the fish when it's caught. This is not some little tinny that fits on the top of a land cruiser. So was immediately a supernatural arrival? I don't know. The scripture doesn't the scripture does allude to that in some way. What we don't know is that at what point they are making no... We, 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 what we do know is that at one point they're making no progress. Then Jesus comes on board and the Bible says immediately, immediately the boat reached the shore. How many want Jesus on board? Yeah? The question really is, is there room in your boat for Jesus? Is there room in my boat for Jesus? Is there room in our boat for Jesus? Are you tired tonight of making this thing work on your own? In fact, the fact is, Jesus, we can't even get to the shoreline without you. You and I can't get to the next place on our journey without Jesus. You and I can't get to the next dimension or the next new thing without Jesus. Now you will get some, you, you will get some, you'll get there quickly. We will get there quickly. But we need to have Jesus on board tonight. Where we're going. This new direction that we're going in. We need to have Jesus on board. It's like Jesus hits the afterburners in this sort of situation. The boat rises up out the water and it planes across the lake of um, Galilee. But uh, it says immediately, and they were there. It's about a willingness to make room for Jesus, I think. It's about a willingness to make room for Jesus in our church, in our life, in our day-to-day lives. The issue that the disciples were battling are no longer issues the moment Jesus gets in. The wind is not an issue. The darkness is not an issue. The tiredness is not an issue. It all melts away and real progress begins to take place and you get to the place where God wants you to be. It's about finishing strong tonight and that's the prayer I want for my life, the prayer I want for my marriage, the prayer I want for our church, the prayer I want for your life. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life but Lord... I want to finish strong. I want to finish running on empty, getting to heaven on vapours, nothing in the tank, and Jesus on board tonight. So let's quickly wrap up what we've been looking at over the last two weeks. And Evan, if you can just play softly on the keyboards and worship team, get ready. I'm just going to wind up here. Last week we said if, You are doing what God called you to do. If you are doing what God calls you to do, obedience will not protect you from the storms of life. Obedience is an opportunity tonight because because obedience 
will often lead you into some of the storms of life. But when it's all said and done, obedience will always leave you stronger. In your life, you, you're going to have to come or you're going to have to move against some fears. Now that might be some fears that you have. Maybe they're in your character. Maybe they're in your makeup. But you're going to need to learn that it's all connected and Jesus has put you in a place and he's put you there to go through what you're going through. When opposition is blowing and when you're arguing with everyone and God, you need to know God's listening and God can hear your words and he can hear your prayers because he is in the storms of life with you. But it isn't until we change our speech, it isn't until we change our attitude and we're willing to let him in the boat with us that we can see change and see progress and we're ready to enter a new dimension, a new thing that God has for us all. Do you believe that tonight? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Let's close in a song and invite Lucas up. He's going to uh, lead us in a song, perhaps in a little prayer before we start the song.